0: A just, stable, and sustainable world for all life. It's the future that 2020 reminded us we really need. While it can be hard to imagine the huge shifts it'll take to get there, one thing remains certain. How central we are to each other. People to people. People to nature. Nature to everything.
1: What are you doing here? is a podcast by The Emerging World Project, where voices for and about our Earth and all of her inhabitants come to you with stories from across the globe. Stories that remind us that we can achieve incredible things. But it starts with each of us acknowledging that we are part of something greater than ourselves. I am your host, Addison Brown.
0: And I am your co-host, Marley Alabanza.
1: People to people, people to nature, nature to everything.
0: Indeed, these connections are the bedrock of our existence. When nature thrives, people thrive. But even when we acknowledge this truth on a planetary scale, it's easy to lose sight of what that means to individual communities and individual people. People in nature find ways to thrive together. Let's not forget what that looks like. Today, our guest is Dr. Wong from the Bornean Sunbear Conservation Center. Dr. Wong C2 is a Malaysian wildlife biologist and tropical forest ecologist. He did his bachelor, master, and doctorate degrees in wildlife biology at the University of Montana in the United States, and has an honorary doctorate from the University of the Sunshine Coast in Australia. Dr. Wong is the CEO and founder of the Bornean Sun Bear Conservation Center in Sabah, Malaysia, Borneo, which he founded in 2008. Dr. Wong has been recognized with numerous awards for his work on sun bear conservation and is a worldwide authority on this rare bear species. We have also learned he is a really wonderful cook. Let's see if we can get a recipe out of him while we learn about this very important work that Dr. Wong is doing for the sunbear. Sit back under a tree and enjoy the show.
1: Well, hello there. Can you hear me?
2: Hi. Yes, I can hear you, loud and clear.
1: Fantastic. Well, it's a good morning to you. How are you?
2: I'm good, I'm good.
1: Well, thank you for taking the time to come and talk to us. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. So let's get started. Alright. <laughs> um, I always tell people I love to start conversations in this way because it gets other people to thinking about when they notice their own relationship to the natural world and how that may have affected their lives. So I just want to ask you: When do you think you noticed your relationship to the natural
2: world? Well, I think I would say since I was little. You know, since I was little, I love to keep all kind of pets. I have. A lot of animals uh since i was little i rescue little chicks uh sparrow chicks uh dove chicks that fell off from their nest and then um yeah and then i have all kind of you know insect like scorpion i have uh yeah Besides dogs and cats i also have uh turtles i have a baby a cibet, pet civets. Um, yeah, I think I always love to observe them, observe their behaviors, of the, observe, uh, their, you know, whatever they do, what, they observe their eating and things like that. So I think at a times I was a little late hook, you know, and I also keep a lot of, uh, pet fish. Yeah. And <laughs> that kind of, that kind of moment.
1: Right. right before
2: school, you know.
1: Right. You'd rather collect uh, insects be- instead of going to school or something.
2: Yeah, that was before I, before I went to school. And even, I, even though I went to school, my hobby, my pet skipping hobby, it does not stop. It just growing and growing. And then later on in high school, I become a pet breeder. I breed uh, uh, jerrygulls, I breed lovebirds, I breed, I breed fish, I breed dogs. So so you just keep on growing. And it sounds yeah. like you were
1: it sounds like you uh-huh. were born into it. <laughs> when I talk to a lot of animal lovers and mm. nature lovers, it seems that it's something that they always recognize started really early, right? Like they didn't play with toys per se as much as they did with, you know, insects and and other little animals instead. I, I love that. It's like a a very um, innate instinct for a lot of people.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely.
1: How would you say that your love for the natural world and working within conservation um, has influenced the way you actually live in the world today?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, being close to nature uh, for such a long time. I'm 52 years old now. And then uh, I've been uh get close to nature, get close to creatures since little and then uh it brings me really like I belong to nature, I'm part of nature. Yeah, you know, I cannot separate from nature even until now my office is just beside the rainforest. And uh and, and I feel like it, it I feel like yeah it is it is very natural I'm be part of it. So when I'm a part of it, I have the responsibility to protect it, to stop people from harming it. And then uh, not only that, I also, you know, uh, influence me to be respectful of everything because like say, for example, in the rainforest, you know, there is a lot of species, uh, plants, animals, invertebrates, you name it, you know, this is a biodiversity hotspots. And there are so many species of life live in this forest and they all support each other. They cannot live without each other. I feel like being in, being in the nature world, being influenced by what I learn and what I see and what I feel over the last, uh, five decades. Yeah. It really makes me like try to be respectful of every single thing, even though this is a tiny little insect, tiny little ants or little leeches, for example. You know we all have to be respectful for all of these things the plants and then uh, lately I learned about you know the rainforest actually uh, the plants and the fern actually produce a little little salt particles that uh, that, that catalyze uh, raindrops to attach on it and later on it forms the rain cloud and then drops as a rain so even this tiny little Thing that you might not see it with your own eye, but it's actually happened. So, so we cannot live without without everything that 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 we have here. Yeah. So Ab- be respectful. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Do you find that um, uh, trying to explain that to people um, is effective? Like breaking it down that small, like you and I can understand. Right? When we look at the small, smallest particle, how that affects everything. Um, I guess my question is when you're, let's say, volunteers come through the center, do you find it effective when you break it down that small for them to really understand how important it is to be respectful?
2: Yeah, I think so. Because uh, here, you know, they have all, all the volunteers that come to, come to, come to work with us, uh, have the opportunity to be part of it. Uh, our center is inside yeah. a rainforest, actually. You know, no matter where they go, they are in the rainforest with a lot of species, a lot of interactions. And then it's just how detailed they want to see these interactions among all the living organisms happened in the surrounding. And I'm sure uh, when they decide to become our volunteers, they already being uh be self selected to love nature and want to help the animals and be part of it, and then over here, of course, you know, I try to talk to them, I try to influence them, I try to get to know them and also introduced to them, you know, like say for example, sun bears play many important ecological roles in this rainforest so 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 to in order to yeah to make them appreciate value and then uh, and and eventually makes anybody including our volunteers feel like we are part of the equation we are part of the ecosystems and we cannot you know remove ourselves from this ecosystems you know from this equation and we are part of it yeah
1: that sounds really wonderful i i I really want to come and spend some time at your center Um, before we start to talk a little bit about the center and how it began. And I just want to ask you um, one question about um, any support while you were getting the sun bear center together and why the sun bear Or, or like who has been your biggest influence in this work in particular?
2: Hmm. Well, in my world, actually, you know, I have a long journey to become what I am today. You know, I'm a tropical forest ecologist. I'm a wildlife biologist. And of course, during my early days, the support that I get from my own family, my sibling, my parents are very important because they paved the way for me to go overseas to pursue a degree in wildlife biology in the States without them, you know, this dream would not be possible because at that time you're talking about, you know, some more than 30 years ago, the whole economy is not very good. My personal, I'm not a, I'm not from a rich family, you know, we are just like middle, low class kind of, uh, of our household family. So the support from my brothers and sisters are extremely important. And then after that, after I get married uh the support from my wife is extremely important the support from my mother in law uh, is extremely important because um uh yeah because uh, financially and also support the whole family uh being away i when i do my field work i have to leave my family my own family my two girls and my wife uh in 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 taiwan and then i spend you know all by myself in the rainforest uh, yeah, so they have to understand and they have to support my work so that we don't have a, what, a family breakdown.
1: Right. And
2: then, uh, yeah, and then to hold the family bond strong and also get me going, you know, to pursue my own dream. You know, in some way, I'm being selfish, selfish that I want to pursue my dreams, pursue to fulfill my, 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 my mission in life. And then uh, and and at the end they are you know being ignored or they are being uh, left behind. Uh, not that serious, but you know what I mean. <laughs> right. <laughs> I need to get their support. And yeah, and of course right. after that's after I've established the center, I need a lot of money. And there are many people who has been uh, supporting my works. Um, yeah. Say for example this NGO called Leap L E A P stand for Land Animal and Land, uh, and, um, LEAP, Land Empowerment, Animal and People. Uh, the founder, uh, Cynthia Ong is very supportive of my work. And then later on, our biggest funder from the Sam Dabi Foundation, uh, who is a local Malaysian, uh, foundation that, uh, funded us on multiple, uh, projects are uh, extremely important funders to make my work or our work possible until today.
1: That's wonderful. I, I certainly agree that um, that we need our families and our immediate communities to support these really large dreams that are of course, right, in the long run, it makes a full circle, right? We all benefit from your good works. Um, and then you're happy to be able to fulfill your dreams. And I'm certain that your family loves to see you happy, right?
2: Mm. And so, success too.
1: Right, exactly. I, I, I measure success some of uh, that, that uh, joyfulness and peacefulness that comes with having fulfilled something, except especially something that um, affects the rest of our world uh, so significantly. Which brings me around to the sun bear and why you chose the sun bear. Um, I would love for you to share with us... Um, why you chose the sun bear, and tell us a little about a little bit about the sun bear?
2: Yeah, sure. Ha- hmm. I think I did not choose the sun bear; the sun bear chose me.
1: I love that. You know, so
2: so 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 it was. It, it happens when I when I studied um, undergraduates. My undergraduate in wildlife biology in uh, University of Montana. Montana, uh, Missoula, Montana. there was back in 1994, the first year when I was there. And then uh, on the first year, I met a professor, Professor Christopher Savine, who was an uh, adjunct professor in our in our university. And then uh, at the time, he was also the IOCN Best Specialist Group Co-Chair. And then uh, he came to our class one day to talk about his work on... Uh, on research work on various uh, bear species across the world, and then uh, and at the end of the lecture, I asked him, "Hey, I'm from Malaysia. Do you have any project working with sun bears?" And then he said, "No. In fact, he was looking for a Malaysian student to do a study on sun bears." Then I said, "Great. You know, I'm from Malaysia. I have experience working with wildlife. You know, because uh, before I started my undergraduate degree, I actually have a diploma on veterinary from Taiwan." I spent two years working with a professor in Taiwan, uh, doing some radio telemetry works on, uh, on Parking Day in Taiwan, and then also helped him establish a wildlife rescue center in Taiwan. So I'm uh, not a, you know, high school, freshly high school grads that do not know anything. And uh, mm-hmm. when I started my, my undergraduate, I was actually uh, 25 years old so, 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 he said, "Great, and after you know know more about my background, he said, "I'll be the best candidates, and let's talk about it yeah so so, so, at the times, Sun Bear was the least known bear in the world, even until now it's still it is compared to other, but at the times we do not know anything about sun bear, we do not know anything you know any well, for any biological information, for example, their diet, their home range, what kind of uh uh, habitat requirements that they have, what kind of uh, behaviors that they have, we know nothing. So, so study on sun bear is a top priority for uh, for for bear research across the world. So, so for him, his job is to try to find a local Malaysian uh, to do a study on sun bear, and it just happened to be me. So that was a very very important crossroad mm. that I have in life, and then uh, after. That in 2008, uh, two, uh, 1998, after I uh finished my undergraduate degree and then get into the graduate program, and then I came to Borneo for the very first time and then started this uh, uh study on uh, wild sun bears in the rainforest of Borneo, and that's the you know the road of no returns, and until now, <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> hook, line, and sinker in the jungle. So tell me what are some of the um, challenges that you had in getting the Sun Bear center going?
2: Mm, okay, well, obviously, there are many, many challenges, okay so mm-hmm. so because I'm trying to establish a facilities from scratch, there's mm. nothing nothing here. It's just like you know forest. Wow and then uh, but what I need to do is to like build a center to rescue all of the captive sunbears that was kept as illegal pets across Sabah. And then, uh, so I need to come up with, uh, you know, not only uh, uh, facilities where I can house them and improve their animal welfare, but in order for the center to run perfectly, I need uh, revenues generating mechanisms by open part of the, uh, center to the visitors, to the public or to the tourists so that they can mm. generate revenue. So it needs mm. some kind of a, you know, tourist uh, facilities where people can view bears, can experience uh, the bears in this rainforest. Mm-hmm. So I need to build all of them, you know, not only the bear house, not only the forest enclosure for the bears, but also the platform for visitors to view the gallery, the shops and things like that. So I need mm. enormous anou- amount of money Mm. You know, so money is always the biggest challenge. Mm. All right. How and how and where to get this money to build all of this up. And then this is number one. Number two challenges that I have is to get the right people Mm. because I, I was trained as a biologist. I was trained as a wildlife biologist. I was not trained as an architect, as an engineer, as an entrepreneur, as a businessman. And then, uh suddenly, in order to run a center like this, I have to be everything yeah, wow, so, so trying to get the right kind of people is actually challenging. I am very grateful that in my whole journey, I managed to meet a lot of very important people and then uh and then they help me to like network and get more important or very helpful people to establish my works, you know, from architect to fundraisers, to, um, you know, good accountants, uh, you name it. And right now, we have a team of almost uh, 30 full-time staff working at our center. So they are the heroes and heroines uh, for, for me because uh, I cannot, you know, take care of 44 bears all by myself. Right. I need them to 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 help me to do the jobs, you know, and also welcome the mm. tourists, talk to the visitors, mm. talk to the school kids, and so on and so forth. So, so trying to get the right kind of people, you know, is actually quite challenging. If you have the right kind of people, then your job is my job is halfway done. If if I don't get the right kind of people, I'll create a lot of problems and did not get my job done and it, it it event eventually it will like slowly dying off or failure after failure after failure.
1: Mm. So
2: I uh I consider myself being the lucky one. I although there are, you know, uh things does not work out as it's planned for some of our staff but it's okay. It's part of the process in order to get the right kind of people. So I need to keep on trying. And then uh yeah, so I'm Lucky and thankful for getting the right people to help me all this time.
1: Wow, that's an amazing, amazing accomplishment. Um, are there any other uh, sun bear conservation centers at all? Are you the lone sun bear conservationist?
2: Yeah, I would, I would, I would say so. I would say so. In other parts of Southeast Asia, there are rescue center. Uh, like you know, like like, free bears. Also established a rescue center for, for for bear species in Laos and Cambodia, and then uh and then in West Malaysia there is a national wildlife rescue center. In Thailand there is a uh, there's a, a bear rescue center and so on and so forth run by the governments. But in terms of uh the things that they are doing, is very unlike to us. We are trying to conserve some bear through a holistic approach that incorporates, mm. you know, improved animal welfare, education, research, rehabilitations, uh, ecotourism, uh, anti-poaching, community conservations, and in the, in the future, captive breeding. So mm. literally anything that I think as a bear biologist would help to conserve, to save these, these known bear species in the world, and we are going to do them all. You know, I'm a greedy person. <laughs> I think only by incorporating so many things that we, that, 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 that we can, you know, help this species or conserve this species because we really need to deal with all kind of things. You know, if we just do, like, say, animal welfare by rescuing the bears and then without doing the educations, without doing the law enforcement, it's not going to work. Right. Yeah. So, so we have to pull many, many strings together because everything is, is, uh, is, uh, is tied together. And also the funding mechanism. How are you going to get all the money to do all the works that we do? So for us, it's dependent on uh, the ecotourism's pillars. Yeah. The ecotourism's uh, site. So we can generate revenues uh, from the tourists to come here to 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 view the bears, to learn about the rainforest, to learn about the sun bears, and then uh, and then we 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 make money from them. Right. Uh, yeah, so it's extremely important. And then when they come here, uh, they spend money, they improve the local economy so that the local people, you know, have jobs to work in the tourism sector and not to become a poachers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so all in all is, uh, is all interconnected. So we need to come up with a holistic approach to, 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 to deal or to solve these problems of, uh, of sun bears uh, being threatened by all kinds of human activities.
1: It, that yes, they um, interconnectedness and the holistic approach in conservation is is probably vital at this time. I want to ask you about um, why the sun bear has become listed and what role um, do they play in those jungles in which they live.
2: Mm, okay, sure. So, what caused the jung uh, the sun bears become threatened? Uh, well, first of all, first, first, and by far is the def- is the habitat loss. Sun bear is a forest-dependent species. They live in the forest. They live in the tropical forests across Southeast Asia, and then this forest is often very dense, you know, very old, and produce a lot of very good quality timber for human eyes. Okay, so all of these big trees, like say for example, our forest, the average canopy height. Is fifty met- is fifty meters tall. The tallest tree in this forest is hundred point eight meters tall. You know, taller than the Statue of Liberty is equivalent to a thirty story building height. So, so all of these big giant trees have to be hardwood. But hardwood, in humans' eyes, are money, are, are extremely valuable natural resources. So across South Asia, the very first natural resources that to be exploited by people especially after you know human population growth over the last few decades are uh, immense so so when all these trees are locked the forest disappeared then the habitat of sun bears disappeared and the bears are mm-hmm. uh, literally wiped out from the surface of the planet mm-hmm. yeah and then uh, so what is what is left is all these forest patches or the totally protected forest here and there and and if the if these forests are big enough they may be you know still a small population of sun bears still clinging on and then they face the another threat which is hunting and poaching you know so hunting and poaching is the second uh, most important uh, threats that a sun bear face um, and and people want to eat sunbears uh, for their meat want to eat Use some bare body parts like gallbladder as a traditional Asian medicine. It is not just a traditional Chinese medicine, but it is a traditional Asian medicine because a lot of ethnic group across Asia use bare gallbladder as traditional medicines. Mm. And then their claws, their canine are being used as souvenirs. And some people believe that these claws and canine, you know, have super power to like drive away evil spirit. And then their pause is considered as delicacy among the Chinese. Yeah. So over the last um, decades or so, you know, what we see is the the gap between the rich and the poor becomes so big. And then although the sun bears are protected in uh, are protected by law in most of the country, in all of the countries that they are found, but the rich are so rich and they are willing to offer a lot of money to the very poor for this kind of product so the poor would you know take the risk to go and hunt the very last bears in their forest mm. and this is what we are seeing uh, especially in today and then on top of that baby bears are very cute you know extremely mm. cute and then people want to keep them as pets you know without thinking of one day this bear will grow big will become a ferocious beast and they can harm them but People are stupid, they uh, have a lot of money, and they think that, oh, as long as they have money, uh, they can do whatever that they like. But the fact is, they cannot. Yeah.
1: Are these topics that you um, bring up and talk about? I would imagine this is a very, very difficult conversation to have <laughs> when you're talking about traditional medicine. That uh, So is yeah. that part of your education?
2: Absolutely, absolutely. So so talking about the threats of uh, sunbears, yes, this is something that we need to educate every single person that come into our center. And then, then besides talking about the threats of the sunbears, we also talk about why we need to protect sunbears. That is your second part of your questions, you know, what kind of uh, ecological roles that they play in the forest. From years of uh, studies on the Sunday, we know that they are very important seed dispersal. When they eat fruits, mm. they swallow the seed, you know, the seed will pass through their digestive mm. tracts and then a uh, few hours later come out in their feces and then the seed will start to germinate. So, so, so they disperse the seed far away from the mother tree and that process is extremely important in this for ecosystem because many studies have shown that the further away the seed being dispersed, far away from the mother tree, the higher the chances of surviving. You know, so this is one. The second roles that they play, what we call is their forest doctor, when they feed on termite, some termite species like the microcerothermis are known to attack live trees. So when the sun bear eat the termite population, eat the termite colony, it actually control the termite population in the forest preventing an outbreak. Of a, an, an outbreak of this uh, termite and kill many, many trees in the forest. So it keeps the forest healthy and keep the balance, you know, of this forest. Right. And then when they feed on um, honey, sun bears is also known as honey bears in local Malay, and they really love to eat honey. Mm-hmm. And then uh, one group of honey that they are eating is actually from the stingless bee. Stingless bee build their hive inside a hollow tree trunk. And then uh, when they climb up to the, you know, tree, excavate the uh, beehive and then uh, we, they will make uh, cavities in the tree and that cavities later will be used uh, by hornbills and other tree cavity nester like flying squirrel as nests. So in other words, they build nests for other animals in the mm. forest. and then uh, and then when they feed on the earthworm, for example, they actually do a lot of digging, the ploughing the soil, you know, enhance the soil nutrient cycle and make the soil loose for uh, seed germinations, and also enhance nutrient cycle and things like that. And then lately, we also found that oh, bears are food provider. You know, when they feed on termites mm-hmm. or decay wood, looking for grubs and so on, there's always something left behind. Mm-hmm. So the forest animals like bearded pigs, like pheasants or other birds, always take along the bears. Uh, for this, uh, feeding opportunity, you know, just like cattle and cattle egrets, you know, and then in return, these animals that hang around bears, uh, would give extra eye to alert the bears if there is any danger. So it's a mutualism relationships that we are seeing, uh, that happen in our forest. So all in all, sun bear play many important ecological roles in our forest. A forest with bears and the forest without bears are very different forests. What we need to have is a uh, is the integrity of the forest. Is you know is a is a complete set of the forest so that everything is in balance, is in check, like what the forests have evolved over the last hundred and forty million years. So very mm-hmm. important.
1: Oh, very important. You're listening to the Emerging World Project podcast, What Are You Doing Here? On this episode, we are talking to Dr. Wong. He's a wildlife biologist and tropical forest ecologist, as well as the CEO and founder of the Bornean Sunbear Conservation Center. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Can you tell us the story of Luna?
2: Uh, yeah, okay. So uh, Luna, Luna was uh, uh, given birth by Bintang, uh, a female rescue bear that, that, that we rescued. Uh, uh, Luna was born in May 20th uh, this year. So it was an accidental birth because uh, at our center, we have been uh, discouraged, uh, breeding, you know, but sometimes things happen uh, and then uh, then we have to accept it. So, so Luna was born on May 20th uh, without, uh, it's a surprise birth, you know, that they are. Uh, somebody heard, there's some squeaking sound in the bear house. And then we went to check, oh, Luna have a little newborn infant <laughs> and squeaking and, you know, infant bears are very, very loud. If you've seen videos of like giant panda, you know, baby, they they make a lot of noise. And then, in order to get the mother's attention, so we are like, "Oh, thrill and then uh Bintang has been you know, a good mother that we see she attained her baby, and then uh, she nursed a baby, uh, which is good, and then uh, the baby was active, she was very loud, uh, yeah baby Luna at that time we we still do not have a name for her and then uh, and then uh, we are very excited, but things we then we start to have noticed something went wrong on the eighth day. And then uh baby Luna at the times become very inactive, um uh, doesn't make noise, very quiet, and then I sense something wrong and I said we need to check on her. So we managed to separate uh the mother, uh Bintam and little baby Luna, and then when we you know examined closely we found the problem. Uh her body temp she was actually cold already, her body temperature already drops. And then, uh, and then she have no ears. What happened was that, I think, Bintang over her, licked oh. too much until oh. both of her ear gone missing, and then there was pus coming out from the ear canal. I mean, the whole ear was like, you know, filled with pus, and uh, and also, and also, uh, um, yeah, and also scars, yeah, and also the tail is missing uh overgroom, and then the umbilical cord also have passed so 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 these are the signs of uh, overgrooming. you know what happened was that uh, for any infant mammals, the mother have to lick the body lick the have to lick the genitalia area in order to stimulate urinations and defecation so that the mother can clean their dent without leaving any trace of or any smells of urine and feces uh, that may attract predators uh, to their very vulnerable den and the very vulnerable infant at a time. So this is what they do, you know, in, in, in the wild. But if the a mother over-leaking, over-grooming, then it will cause damage. And I think this is what happens. So we have to pull her off. And then remove her hand fat. And then uh, that first night was a very hard night because, uh, yeah, she almost died actually. Actually, you know, if not our vet and our teams, you know, constantly uh, spend a lot of time and effort and try to uh, rescue her, give her oxygen, give her additional uh, light uh, to warm her body up, uh, she will have died. So, anyway, so Luna was uh, hand raised by us. Uh, uh, starting from the eighth day of her life and then uh, until now and, and right now she's uh she make it you know she grow right now she is uh what hundred and uh ninety something days now and then uh she is uh 10 kilo 10.1 or 10.2 kilograms now so she's uh, growing really well it's just that they she don't have ear so luna is the only somewhere in the world Without ears, so to speak, so she get a very very, uh, unique character. She and then, does uh, right now, yeah, yeah. And right now <laughs> we have been uh, walking her in the forest, so she can climb trees, really like shoot up to the tree, just like you know any wild bear's uh, cup do. Uh, very active, and we are very glad, and hopefully uh, she will keep on growing.
1: Yes, there isn't any. Is there any way to understand um, why the mother would overgroom and not know it?
2: Uh, we, of course, we do not know, you know, yeah. unless Bintang, a mother, can speak human language. Right. And I think, you know, when when a bear is maybe give birth in an unnatural environment, mm. in a in in captivity, in human setting, mm. uh, she got a lot of free times you know, then she leg, like leg, you know. So, yeah, if not, yeah, they'll yeah. do the, you know, stereotypic behavior or what we call pacing and then uh, maybe she got stressed out a little bit, Yeah, you know? so they may like overgroom. So, this kind of uh, um, uh, abnormal behavior might cause because of this and also, she's a brand new mother. Right. Yeah, and then uh, she might not know what is, you know, the right grooming right. or the or the or the right level of grooming you know so
1: when yeah. they when they live in the wild would that have been something that she would have learned from her mother?
2: uh no no actually the sun bear leave their mother at the age of three to four oh. and then after that they would you know never meet up again uh, mm. with moms mm. uh, they live a solitary life so mm-hmm. a lot of this kind of uh, nursing skill, has to be like in it, have to be mm-hmm. like be with them, you know, their instinct, teach them right. to do this and do right. this and do this. And it's actually quite amazing, you know, talking about wildlife uh, instinct. Yeah.
1: That is fascinating. And, uh, it's fascinating. It's, fa- to is, it's
2: fascinating. You know, even, yeah. you know, say for example, dogs and cats, you know, after right. they have been domesticated for so many generations and they still know what to do. Yeah. You know, yeah, Yeah, when they give birth to kitten or puppy, they still know what to do and they still know what to like, like bite off their umbilical cords, you know, that lick up, you know, all these things. And yeah, I mean, for humans, we have to learn from like (laughs) mother and auntie and midwife and doctors and you know then went and, to like Lamans clock uh class yeah <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then sometimes we just forget because we have other things to do
2: <laughs> yeah that is exactly right that's exactly <laughs> right so so but for but for you know wildlife it is uh, it is really amazing so if you th- think about you know compared to us and them uh, actually we are, we, we, we know nothing. <laughs>
1: yeah, right. Yeah. That's just, I'm starting to understand that more and more these days. Okay, so if I were to come to the center and volunteer, what would a typical day include?
2: Okay, so if you want to volunteer at our center, our, we start our day at 8 o'clock sharp in the morning. And then, uh, so after clock in and then we all start to get busy. Morning from eight to 10 or to 11 o'clock is always the most busiest times of the day because there's so many things that we need to do, uh, in early in the morning, you know. So actually the whole team, the bad team consists of maybe, uh, 12 people and then they break into other, uh, few sub team. Uh, one small team would prepare the food. You know, uh, for all of the bears, and then there's one or two, uh, team members would go and do fence checking, uh, of the forest enclosure to make sure that there's no damage on, uh, on, on the, on the forest enclosures because, uh, here we have, uh, a lot of trees that, that branches may drop, you know, may damage the fan, and also, uh, in order to keep the bears, uh, within the forest enclosures so those fences have electric wire or hot wire. So we're going to make sure that there's no any like twigs or leaves that create a little circuit uh, between the wire and also the chain link fence uh, because it will bring down the current. So we need to do one round of that and then uh, after the fence checking everything is good then the bears are let out to the forest enclosures. And then uh, in the bear house, when the bears are all out, then we start to do cleaning. So you'll be, do a lot of cleaning. You'll be, you know, (laughs) cleaning bear shit, you know, bear pool (laughs) in big quantity. Uh, A lot of physical work, you know, Mm -hmm. so, so because uh, we have like two bear houses consists of, uh, 20, uh, no, 40, 46, uh, cells. Yeah, and then, uh, no, of uh, us, 36, uh, 36, uh, den, or, 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 yeah, den, you know, so, and every den has to be cleaned by water, have to be scraps, you know, okay. so there's a lot of work. So, and then after that, uh, by night something, when the bears are out, close to 10 o'clock, okay, the first round of feeding or breakfast time is served. So, so you're carrying the bucket loads of, uh, fruits. And vegetables and then go and feed the bears uh, in our forest enclosure and then and also there are a few bears that is still uh, live inside the bear house Then uh, we need to feed them and then uh, and then after that 11 something there's another round of uh, feeding and then afternoon two something there's another round of feeding and then uh, four o'clock is the last feeding uh, in the bear house their dinner is served in the bear house and the bearers would come back and then uh and then and then locked up you know lock them up uh, uh before mm-hmm. five o'clock so that they all stay and sleep inside mm-hmm. the bear house okay. and then in between if there are times you know you need to do enrichment for the bearers you need to uh, you know write up the reports uh and then once in a while when we have like health checks uh mm-hmm. So the keepers or the volunteers have to assist uh, the health check, where the vet will sedate the bears, and then uh, when the bears are down, um, you know, bring the bears to the cleaning and then conduct health check uh, for yeah for about two hours, you know, including cleaning their teeth, and taking sample,
1: mm. yeah,
2: yeah. So there's always always a lot of work to do, you know, and and then uh, if there's any facilities or anything need to be maintained. Then the volunteers also need to help that as well.
1: So, if the bears were in the forest um, living freely, would they be eating often? Is that how they eat? Yes,
2: yes, (laughs) yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So, in the wild, you know, uh, bears are constantly looking for food because they have to look for food because they cannot, you know, food because food is not everywhere. One of the very special characteristics of our forest, the forest of Borneo, Sumatra and, and West Malaysia, is that these forests do not fruits in an annual cycle. It fruits in a supra-annual cycle, means that this year fruited, the next fruiting years can be 4 years, 6 years or 11 oh, years wow. from this year. So in between, the forest is always green and lush but no fruits. Only a few trees that do not following this pattern, this 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 fruiting pattern, we call mass fruiting, uh, fruited like say the fig tree, the ficus, the fig tree. So the bears in the forest need to find where is the fruiting fig tree at a time, and then if they fail to find a fruiting fig tree, then they have to you know feed on other invertebrates, fruit items like invertebrates, termites, ants, beetles, beetle larva, uh, earthworms. They are, these kind of uh, uh, food items is always in the forest, but they come in such a small quantity, you know, tiny little termites, tiny little ants. Yeah. And, and, and they have to work hard. So they're always looking for food, always do digging, look sniffing in the forest mm-hmm. uh, food. And then if they can like find a, Say, for example, they would uh, lick up whatever, they will eat up whatever that they can find and then often, you know, there's something left behind. So, only fruits, wild fruits in the forest is the food item that can fill up their belly, that can make them full. So, when oh. they found fruiting fig trees, they would eat and eat and eat, gorge to go to themselves as much as possible and then hang around uh, on that fruiting fig tree for a few days until... All the resource, all the food resources <laughs> depleted. Then they move on. Yeah, so this is how they are life.
1: <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, what do you What do you do uh, personally to wind down after a day at the center?
2: Oh, okay. What do I do uh, to wind down after a day at the center? I think to. You cook. To, uh, to, no. <laughs> uh, well, first of all, I have to be thankful for all the stuff and all the bears well behave. You know, <laughs> nothing bad happens. So, this is very, very. Th- Every day, I have to be thankful for our staff working so hard to help me run the centers. And then the bears are uh, being so nice and well behaved and do not escape. Uh, and that is very important because we do have a few cases of a uh, bear escaping because they always want to escape, you know, <laughs> and then, uh, so, 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 well, this is what they, what, what they are programmed to do, you know, try to run away from people. Mm, yeah. And then, uh, yeah, so after that, so I'll be very thankful and then, um, you know, back home, cook my dinner, have a good meals and then i continue my computer work until 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock to the, to the bed and end my day.
1: That doesn't sound like winding down. It sounds like you go home and work some more.
2: <laughs> uh, yes, you know, because uh, I did not live with my family. My family, uh, my wife and two kids, they are in Taiwan. Mm. Then, uh, so I live alone.
1: Mm. So if I'm
2: not, if I'm alone, if I'm not uh, working, then mm-hmm. I will start to get my, I you know, Uh, Depressed and missing them so much and blah blah blah. Uh, So so that kind of things and then plus there's always all kind of work that pile up that I need to like clear it up, do it, clear it up as much as I can. Right.
1: Right. I saw a video of you making dumplings, and so I promised I I would (laughs) ask you about the dumplings because you have a. You have some mighty fine knife skills going on there. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, I
2: used to work in a restaurant. I used to work <laughs> as a chef. No, then, really. Uh, so that's that's my another hobby. You know, I have two hobbies. One working with animals. The other one is I'm a food connoisseur. I love to eat. You know. Oh because wow. I'm, I live away from home, from mom's, from home cooking for so long. So if I want to have my, you know, mom's cooking, my home cooking, then I have to do it myself. Uh, I live in the states for thirteen years, so I cannot survive with hot dogs, pizza, and <laughs> burger, for obvious reasons. And then, uh, mm-hmm. so I have to, yeah, have to cook my, you know, Malaysian meal, Chinese meal, or Asian uh, cuisine. Yeah,
1: that sounds wonderful. Okay, I just have a couple of more questions. I really enjoy speaking with you. So, again, thank you for coming out of the out of the forest to talk to us. Um, if if you could give a little bit of guidance to any young people that might be considering going to work in the fields of conservation, not as a hobby, but as a profession, what would you mm. say?
2: Well, I would say, well, study hard, okay, know your topic really well because the field of conservation is, is not like the field of business, you know. The field of business or most field is trying to Make money to sustain yourself, to raise a family, to put food on tables, many food on tables, you know, to have a lot of gadgets, to have a big house, to have nice car, yeah. So it's all circle around the money part. But for conservations, our goal is not our success is not valued by how much we make. You know, in the field of conservations, our success is how much animal you help, how much land, wild land you protect or how much how many people you influence you know to become a nature lover so so it's very very different so it has to come from the heart you know and one way that start from the heart is that you have to understand you know i like to uh, i like to use the quote from uh, jane goodall you know saying that you know only if you understand Will you will will you care only if you are, if you care will you help only if you help will they be safe, you know? Says so there's four process in this in this code and that's her journey is all about you know when she first came to uh, Gombe to study uh, chimpanzee nobody knows anything about chimpanzee then she as a student, as a researcher she have to understand. For me, myself, the same thing. You know, I came to go to New Rainforest to understand about the berries. And then after I understand about the berries, I see their threats, I see their problem, then I start to care. Care comes from their hearts and nobody forced me to do so. Mm. And then after the care part, then I you know, help, help is action. You know, put your care, your love into actions and you start to do something. You start to make something different. You you know, if 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 the if the animals is having problem, you try to solve the problem. You know, send so you start to act, yeah, and then uh, and helps, and then after you act and help, then they will be safe.
1: Mm. So again,
2: all starting from understanding. So as a young students yourself. You know, if you are students right now, you know, the 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 very important missions that you have as a student is to learn the topic, is to understand the topic really well, regardless of what level you are. Like say if you want to be you know, myself as a as a, as a wildlife biologist right now, you know, many university uh, do offer the, the 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 major or the course on wildlife conservation, wildlife management, wildlife biology, you name it. And then after that, you experience yourself in the field working with animals. And then you, will f- if you are the kind of person, you'll feel in love. You'll fall in love with what you do, and then you'll become better and better. You become more and more passionate. And then of course, you know the the issue of grit is very important. That is consists of passions and perseverance. You know. Mm-hmm. It's, it's always filled with challenge okay you right. said this is easy it is not easy <laughs> but it is meaningful mm. you know and it is meaningful especially in life you know so so you keep on doing keep on working uh, keep on facing the problem the challenges until you until you solve it uh, then you become successful in your life and then uh, yeah so so that is not talking about the money part okay but of course you have to you have to uh, you have to be able to, you know, take care of yourself, feed yourself. If you have family, you have to, you know, come up with money to, uh, to to feed your family and take care of your family. And working in conservation, you can you can make money. You know, like myself, you know, I have a salary, although not a lot, although my mm. title is CEO, but my salary is cannot compete with the you know CEO from a private corporations and uh and a big company. Uh, but I'm happy. I am. Uh, Mm. Uh, uh, I feel, you know, uh, satisfied of what I have. You know, I'm not greedy. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I think the most things, the most important thing is trying to try to be happy and feel like, oh, your life is filled with uh, is is very meaningful of, of what I do.
1: Right, right. It's like a enough is a mindset and not an amount. <laughs> More than anything. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So thank you again. I have one, just a fun question for you. Um, And I bounced around Mm -hmm. a little bit because you so wonderfully answered and dovetailed into some of the other questions I had for you. Um, And we'll be sure to point people in your direction because I think it's important that people learn about the sun bear and the work that you're doing, the great work that you're doing. Um, If you had a billboard, for all the world to see, what would that billboard say?
2: <laughs> oh, okay, so if I have a billboard, it means that I need to like advertise. I can advertise. I can advertise a message. Uh, I would say, do what you do best to save the environment, to save the sun bears. You know, to do to do you know to what whatever that you 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 wanted to do. Do what you do best. Like say, for example, myself, I've been uh. Uh, saving sunbears. bears. I've been trying to help sunbear bear all my life, mm. and uh, I do what I do best. You know, I was trained as a wildlife biologist, and uh, this is I was trained as a, a wildlife conservationist, and this is what I do best. Mm-hmm. So, if you are, say, for example, you know, I actually I I, I tell uh, this uh, to many people, and 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 they pick it up. You know, an artist, they ask me, "What can they do?" I said, "Do your do do what you do best," and then as an artist, you can paint the bears, all right? And then we can mm. use this painting to, you know, to, 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 to raise awareness, to uh, sell it, auction it, you know, to fundraise and things like that. If you are makers, make a film out of our story. If you are a writer, write a, a story of our story, write a story about sunbears. So all in all, there is a room for anybody to be helping or to, to help us, you know, achieve our goal. And uh same with you as well. Right now, I think Mother Nature is sick. Mm. She is really sick because of human population growth, because humans, you know, exploited natural resources. And right now with the global climatic change, she is very sick. So do what you do best to treat Mother Nature. Do what you do best to help Mother Nature. Think about what you do best. There's always room in order to make, a better world or to heal our mother nature and uh, to help every life forms on earth. Thank you.
1: That is a wonderful way to end our conversation. Um, we are in that place right now where that has to be the on the forefront of our mind um, is to take care of mother nature that takes care of us. So thank you, Wong. Um, I greatly appreciate your wisdom and your knowledge, and thank you for sharing it for us. There's a lot to take away from this conversation, and I appreciate you and having had this conversation.
2: You are very welcome. You are very welcome, and thank you for this opportunity to talk to you and uh, talk to your audience.
1: Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for stopping by. You can help us spread the word about what are you doing here by sharing this episode or leaving a review in your favorite podcast app. Reviews help potential listeners see that our show is worth their time and every single one makes a difference. For a deeper look at what the Emerging World Project is up to, head on over to emergingworldproject.org. The Emerging World Project studios are on Tongva land.